0: okay i have a whole bunch to say and we need to trust in the holy spirit to keep me grounded in the word of god for sure just as we go through a few passages this morning there's literally a hundred gold nuggets that we can pick up out of the text and examine so we got to leave a whole bunch on the ground subject matter wise but there is a definite theme as we are traveling through the text this morning Um, Open your Bibles to 1 Samuel 21 is where we are going to be. We're also going to be in a couple of David's psalms that are related to our context. So we're going to end with songs, end with singing. We always do. Uh, Just in our structure of service, we always have four songs up front. And the point is, yes, a lot of us are trickling in and those kinds of things. But it gives us this opportunity to enter into the Lord's presence with song, with praise, with your pain, with your weak, with whatever you have going on, being able to give that to the Lord, lift it up to Him, and allow the lyrics that you're singing to be real. Listening to what you, you know, the words that you're reading on the wall as you're singing these lyrics, that you're really singing them to, to... your creator to your savior that your mind's not wandering into the other hundred things that you need to accomplish today and tomorrow and all the things that you didn't get done in this last week and your whole life is really messy it's immutable, especially for you women right guys we're easy we're one subject matter at a time and that's just how we're wired but when it comes to worship We want ourselves and our minds and our hearts singing to the Lord. It it prepares us to hear from him out of his word. And again, we always have a couple of songs at the end. And the purpose is how does God want you to respond? What's he speaking to you? You know, so often it can feel like those ending songs, it's just time to stand up and stretch your legs. You've been sitting down for so long and it can feel just like a tip to God, all right, it's time to hang out, fellowship, eat, get out the door and get on into life. But we intentionally have open communion so that each one of us would have this opportunity to press into the Lord, to remember your Savior, to remember what is it that our God became a man and tabernacled in the flesh and that he gave his body for our sins, for all the crimes that we have committed against God. And this is an idea that we'll sit in today. He gave himself on the cross for us. He gave his body for us. The shedding of his blood, it's this incredible imagery of all the sacrifices that we have in the Old Testament that point to him, this idea of atonement and covering, and that he is the propitiation, this appeasement of God's wrath, that he has removed our sins from us this shedding of the blood, it's this imagery of the new covenant, the new law, the new promise that is all found in Jesus and Jesus alone. Amen? This is why we're here this morning, to sing. And then all the other stuff I have to say, I'm shelving a whole bunch because just in worship this morning, And I tell you this all the time, I don't don't spend time with the worship team telling them what I'm going to talk about, and um, this is what I want the themes of the song to be, and that kind of stuff. This is always, let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do. And this is what the Holy Spirit did this morning. So my sermon title is, Alone and Afraid. David, we are going to watch him in his isolation, in being alone, as he is fleeing from Saul. And he's afraid our mighty warrior that sunk a stone into Goliath's head in that bravery, in that boldness. Today, we're watching, he's in fear, and he's crying. You ever cried for the Lord? How about the end of last week? God was very specific last week. You shall be careful. How careful were you this week? I got on my knees before God this morning. God, I didn't. I didn't take as much care in my relationship with you as I wanted to. I got snarky with my boss this week. I have an entity that I serve, that's serving Jesus, doing a great work in this world, and every time I think of this entity, I am instantly amped because of a variety of circumstances that impact me and my job and what I have to do. My boss is asking me a question. She asked me if I did something. My attitude, these weren't the exact words, but my attitude was essentially, what do you think? And she had to tell me, Not, you know, don't be snarky with me. She's my sister, I love her to death. We have a great working relationship. But man, I owe this woman a couple hours at a spa because of the agitation that I caused in her life, right? So we all know what her Christmas present is going to be. But I'm sitting on the Lord, you know, just with the Lord. Lord, I, w- I wasn't careful in that moment. I allowed this subject matter to instantly amp me, and I have all my reasons and justifications. And in my ampness, out of my heart, my mouth speaks, and I'm short with somebody else. And that's just one instance where I wasn't careful this week. Were you careful this week? Were you out of line? This is why I love prayer, I love talking to God, I love the communication of the gospel and the good news and all that it conveys, that as often as I feel like my sin is right before me and here's my unrighteousness and here's where I'm off, I come to God in confession. And through Jesus Christ, he cleanses me from all of my unrighteousness. And I get up out of that prayer, out of that praise, and I go and do what he tells me to do, restoring and having the conversation and apology, whatever that needs to look like. This one's going to be in a gift of, here you go. Sorry for being a jerk. Anybody else? This morning in worship, in the subject matter of being hunted, Being alone and being afraid, when all I see is the battle, you see my victory, God. When all I see is the mountain, you see the mountain move. As though as I walk through the shadow, your love surrounds me, Lord. There's nothing to fear. There's nothing to fear. Why? Because I am safe with you. When I fight, I'm gonna fight on my knees. I'm going to lift up my hands high. Why? Because, Lord, the battle belongs to you. If you're for me, who can be against me? Jesus, there's nothing impossible for you. When all I see are the ashes, you see the beauty. When all I see is a cross, God, You see the empty tomb. You see the resurrection. He's our almighty fortress. Goes on and on. Expressing gratitude. All my words fall short. I've got nothing new to say to God. How can I express, Lord, all of my gratitude? And I I love this. Where's this lyric? Come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. Lift up your song and praise the Lord. We're going to watch David do that. I'm going to skip over that one. This And this whole last idea of being sent, you know. David is getting trained in God's school as we are watching him. But it's this preparation for God has an anointing and a calling in his life. And God has is the one that sent him to his isolation. He has sent him into a position of fear. And we're going to end today with David singing a couple of songs. I'm afraid, and because I am afraid of man, I am going to trust in the Lord, I am going to praise the Lord, therefore, I will not be afraid, and it's this whole transition that the Lord takes us through in every circumstance of life. So 1 Samuel 21, again, we have left David, he is on the run, as he has fled Saul the first time, he went to the prophet Samuel. He flees that scene and goes and has a conversation with his best friend, Jonathan. And now that he is fleeing again from Saul, ended in 20, that he arose and departed. Now Jonathan's going to go talk to a priest. Chapter 21, now David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, Why are you alone, and no one is with you? So David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has ordered me on some business, and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you, or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Now therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand, Or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread, if the young men have at least kept themselves from women. Then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly, women have been kept from us about three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is, in effect, common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread, which had been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. All right, there's a lot in here, but here's the main thing. David is on the run. The text here is emphasizing his isolation, that he is alone, just in this interaction with Ahimelech asking this, there's, here is David, here's this, again, he knows who David is, he knows his position as son-in-law of the king, he knows him as a warrior, there's going to be interactions, this is not far away from Gibeah, this is south of Gibeah, but north of Jerusalem, as David is running to the south, David in his presence alone, this is caused, there's something amiss that Ahimelech immediately presses into, Remember in this scene, uh, the tabernacle that was in Shiloh was destroyed at the time that the ark was taken by the Philistines. The ark of the covenant is now in kiriath Jerem, in an individual's home. This location here in Nob is seen that the tabernacle either moved or the tabernacle that was destroyed in Shiloh has been rebuilt in this community. Ahimelech is a descendant of Eli, and we'll sit in that prophecy next week as we continue in the text. But here in this tabernacle, there is this table of showbread. So the table of showbread, by command, the instruction that the Lord gave to the children of Israel, is that there was to be this continual fruit of the ground from the wheat, that it is baked fresh on a weekly basis. And there's 12 loaves for the nation of Israel. So Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Israel has 12 sons. These 12 sons are the 12 tribes of Israel. Each one of these loaves of bread represents one of the tribes of Israel. And the purpose of this imagery that God is giving to the nation is that my nation, my people, you were always before me. You were always in my presence. There is an attitude, an image that's conveyed because it needs to be replaced. It, needs, it was just replaced with fresh bread, with hot bread. So here on the day of Sabbath, it's, it's speaking about that fresh and continual relationship with God. You sit in a New Testament context, Jesus is the bread of life. This morning, we're going to press into the idea of taste and see. As we participate in communion in this this last supper that Jesus shared with the disciples in this Passover meal, as he breaks the bread and distributes it, take, eat, I am the bread of life. This is my body. This was given for you. Taste me. Experience me. Now, it's not to be weird, it's all based on imagery of pressing into all that is being conveyed that God the Father sent God the Son to tabernacle in this flesh as a provision for us, as a nourishment and our, truly our only source of nutrients. That is all this imagery that this table is representing and now we have a New Testament context to fulfill here. But as David is interacting with Ahimelech, he enters into Ahimelech's presence alone. And yes, there are a few young men with David also that he has placed, sent to another place. David is trying to come in quietly and not be, be seen. He is hungry. You sit in the scene in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus uses this example as the disciples are going through a wheat field it's the Sabbath day. They're taking wheat off the, you know, the top of the plant. They're, they're rubbing it in their hands to get rid of the chaff, and they're eating, and the, the Jews are saying, hey, you guys are doing work on the Sabbath day. And Jesus uses this scene as an example to say, what does God desire? What does God desire in you? He desires you to be a merciful man and a merciful woman. He desires you not to be bogged down into a religious system, into all your rules, that if anybody violates your rules and your system, you just totally cut them off and don't provide for them. God gave the nation of Israel very specific instructions for this bread. This bread was to be eaten after the fresh bread is there and replaced, but it was, being, it was to be eaten by individuals who were defined as ceremonial clean, ceremonial clean ceremonially clean. Get that out. Their cleanness is determined by a list of rules by God. One of them being abstaining from sexual relationship. So this is the querying of Ahimelech in this scene. I want to be mercy. David is clearly hungry. He is in need. Something is weird here. Something is off Remember, Ahimelech, is, he's afraid of this circumstance. But his desire to be merciful to David is overcoming his desire to hold on to perfect obedience to what God commanded concerning this bread. It's the same thing that Jesus is dealing with, with being questioned in regards to the behavior of the disciples. And the end result of this is, Jesus, I want you to go and I want you to learn What our Father said through the prophet Hosea, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I want you to go and learn the meaning of this. And I want you to know that the Son of Man is Lord even on the Sabbath day. And he brings up these other things. Even the priests themselves, as they're doing work unto the Lord on the Sabbath day, they're in violation of a whole other bunch of commands of God not to do work on the Sabbath day. But they're not considered unholy ceremonially. So again, mercy in the circumstance was to triumph over specific commands, even in the word of God. We talked about last week, David's right here, he's telling the bold-faced lie. And last week, the lie that David was engaging in was to preserve and protect life. Lying violates one command of God, but there was an aspect of loyal love unto God and loyal love to Jonathan and David needs to protect himself in regards to the scheme that they sent up last week. Even as David is lying to Ahimelech in this circumstance, does David have a justifiable reason to lie? We're not told that God comes in and tells David that he did anything wrong, but just because the Bible is silent in regards to somebody's behavior in the word of God doesn't mean God's in line with it. David's life, David showing up in Ahimelech's presence is going to lead to 85 priests and this whole community of Nob being executed, and David lives with that knowledge the rest of his life, and that's the subject that we're going to sit in next week. So David just showing up has its consequences. David's showing up and telling lies and not feeling like he is able to have an honest conversation with the priest of God because he doesn't know whose team he's on. He knows that he's putting Ahimelech in danger, but what does he need? He needs food for himself and he needs food for the other men that are with him. He's hungry. And mercy triumphs over... Following this, every dotted I and every cross T of the letter of the law, mercy is to triumph always. Talked about this as we were in James' letter, that God's mercy, it, it is triumphant. It triumphs in our life in every single way. So, the bread is given to David Verse 7, there's, there's a lot more I can pick up there, but if you got questions, come and ask me later. Otherwise, we're never going to finish this morning. We've got a lot to cover. Verse 7, a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. We're going to talk about this dog, Doeg, next week. So just shell verse 7, and we'll get into his character and all that's going on there. But it is, it's, it's given us a verse now to highlight what's going to happen in the next scene in chapter 22. Verse 8. David said to Ahimelech, Is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste, continuing in his lies. So the priest said... Sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take it, if you will take that, take it. For there is none other except that one here. And David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. And this, you know, he left without a weapon. He wants a hit weapon. He may already have an idea of where he is heading and what he's going to do. It's going to be a rough road. He needs to defend himself. He left without a weapon, needs a weapon here. Here's Goliath's sword. It's pretty much yours anyways, but it's behind this ephod. We'll get into the ephod next week. Again, a lot of foreshadowing here into subject matter that we'll press into in depth next week. So verse 10. So David had fled from... Saul, again, he he goes to a prophet, he goes to his friend, he goes to a priest, and now David is running to the enemy, which this is super strange. David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now remember, Goliath was from Gath. This is a Philistine central town. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? Now David took these words to heart, and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them. Literally, David changed his taste. So hold on to that word, taste, because it's going to come up again. But he changed his behavior before them. Pretended madness in their hands. He scratched on the doors of the gates, and he let his saliva fall down on his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, look, you see the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of madmen that you brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow fellow come into my house? And then you got in chapter 22: therefore David departed from there and escaped. All right. What's David doing in the enemy's camp? Not a clue. He doesn't feel safe in the homeland, he's being chased in the homeland. So he is leaving that land of Saul's power, of Saul's eyes and ears, for some place that he's going to feel safe. And how insane is it in David's behavior that he's going to feel more safe in the camp of the enemy than he does in the camp of his brothers and sisters in the tribes of Israel. Again, that, it, it adds weight to his level of isolation and to his level of fear. But here he comes to Achish. They already know the testimony. I mean, they've got it. They're their champion of Gath. They know who it was that killed him. They know the songs that are being sung about David. They know that they are, they are defining, the enemy is defining David as the king of the land, not Saul. That tells a lot. But David's sitting there listening to these words. Um and he takes them to heart just like he had to take those words had a specific agitation for Saul where David had to act wisely in his behavior. Now David is hearing these same words that are landing in the hearts of his enemy and David is going to and does modify his behavior to pretend like he's a madman. Now, being a madman in this culture could be a good thing because a lot of this ecstatic, this, mad, this madness, it's, there's foolishness that can come out of the mouth, shouting can come out of the mouth. Um, a lot of the prophets of this day would be defined by the same behavior. So what they do with madmen is you just kind of go let them live on their own and don't kill them because you might be killing a prophet of God and you don't want to anger the gods kind of stuff. But David's pretending to be in this kind of position, insane, scribbling on the door. You know, He's letting his drool come down his beard. Now, all the commentators say this is not something that an Eastern culture man of this day would ever um, allow his spittle to travel down his beard. It's, it's, a, it's a cultural affront. You would never do that intentionally to shame yourself, to shame your beard in this fashion amongst the others. All right. Pretty easy and straightforward, yeah? Yes? No? You think so? Do you want some more information about why David is in Gath? Good. Turn to Psalm 56. We've got two songs to sing. Psalm 56 says, it's title. To the chief musician set to the silent dove in distance, distant lands, it says a victim, or it's just as a poem of David when the Philistines captured him in Gath. So whatever David has done in fleeing from Saul, he traveled south to Nob, and now he's gone a little bit further south. He doesn't go to his hometown of Bethlehem, and he's fled to the west towards the Mediterranean Sea, and he's, he's, he's traveled to the land of the Philistines. And where they captured David, we don't know. Was his intention to go into the city of Gath? Don't know. Was he captured when he came to the gates? Was he captured outside of town between, with he and the few men who were with him? We don't have those details, but again, what's different in this scene, here we have David in his moments of being alone and being afraid. He has been seized by the enemy. He is in control He is being controlled by the Philistines in his current context. At home, afraid of Saul. Now he is afraid of Achish. And how do we know this? Because he says so. Listen to this song that David... How did he he pin this? What What was going on in his mind in conversation what was his body position as he is pretending to be insane to protect himself physically? You know, what, what are all these emotions that are going on in his heart? It, just a, a quick note, and then we'll run through this. Later on in 1 Samuel, there is going to be a time where David and his 600 men live in Gath and are going to war in Pretend kind of these pretending to be allied with the Philistines as the anyways, we'll get into that whole scene. So all of these emotions and relationships keep coming up as we, we travel travel through this narrative. All right, here's the song. Be merciful to me, O God. And this is how Psalm 51 starts in David's confession. God, I need your mercy. Be merciful to me, O God. Why? For man, singular would swallow me up, would trample me, fighting all the day he oppresses me. Now, is this man, as in mankind in general, in, or is he specifically talking about Saul? Is he talking about Achish in this circumstance? Here, he's crying out to God, God, I need your mercy. There is a man, these, this group of men, that they would trample me. They're fighting all day. They're oppressing me. My enemies would hound me all day, for there are many who fight against me, almost high. Verse 3 and 4, highlight them, circle them, memorize them. This is awesome. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear what can flesh do to me? Oh, David is praying, pinning, putting these words to a tune to be memorized, to be sung by himself, and to be shared with others that our God has preserved for us to sit in these lyrics today. Do any of you ever sit in fear? Do any of you ever sit in isolation, you feel alone, you feel attacked, you feel like everybody's against you, the circumstances against you, you're afraid, you don't know what to do, you're not equipped, you don't have the discernment, you lack, you're in need. I am afraid. What do you do? How do you get from that point of I am afraid to I will not fear? How do you get there? Do you get there? Look at David. I am afraid. And he's talking to God. I will trust you. In you, God. In you, I am going to praise your word. I am going to sing it. I am going to read it. I am going to pray it. I am going to trust it. I am. Will trust you. This is that moment. This is the threshold of crossing over. I am a dead man to I am a man who will live forever in the presence of my Creator. Is I will trust Jesus. That's it. I'm afraid. I'm dirty. I'm confused. I'm angry. Every, whatever circumstance in life, I am fill in the blank. I will trust Jesus. I'm going to read your word. I'm going to believe it. I am going to sing it. I am going to repeat it. That and that alone, in that relationship with Him, is the only thing that is going to bring you to the position of confidence in Him to be able to say, "I will not be afraid." Did David's circumstance change? Not a wink. In this moment, as he's writing this, what changed? He's crying out. He's pouring out his heart. What changed was his perspective. And again, you take your heart, you take your life, you take your emotions, you pray, you talk to God. And don't get up until you have this moment of confession, even if you don't feel like it, even if you feel like you're doubting. Don't allow your soul to be wavering back and forth, tossed, will you or will you not trust in who Jesus has demonstrated himself to be? Yes or no, follower of Christ. I will not be afraid. And then what's his position? Why? What can flesh do to me? Nothing. I sit with the words of Jesus in the testimony to Pontius Pilate. You have no power over the Son of Man other than the power that has been given to you by the Father. No man, no woman, no spirit has any power in your life That has not been given to them by God or you. Don't give people power in your life where they should not have power. Don't give this world power in your life and all of their different narratives and voices. Don't give the enemy, the devil, and demons power in your life, permission to come in through your choices, through your behavior, through your attitudes. May your, the door of your heart and your life be closed off to every other voice. And when does that happen? It's only in these moments of isolation, of being alone with God, in the midst of all the rest that's going on on the outside, Here's God's voice. This is why I love worship, This is why I love his word. This is why I don't come in here and communicate any other thing because you don't need to hear my opinions on anything else that's going on in this world. You need to hear about who your savior is because I trust that as you press into trusting Jesus in every aspect of your life, whatever he has planned to send you into, you'll do it boldly. You'll do it submitted. You'll do it with excitement and aggression and zeal. Submitted to him in every way. Yes? Love the word of God. We could sit in those two verses the rest of the time, but let's keep moving. All day, what are my enemies doing? They're they're twisting the words that come out of my mouth. All of of their thoughts against me, evil. They're, They're gathered against me. They're, they're hiding and they're marking out my steps. They're lying in wait and ambush for my life. Shall they escape by iniquity, by their evil? In anger, God, cast down the peoples. You ever want to say that to God? Get them. And I know ultimately. Even in in David's heart, when he's he's asking God to kick their teeth in, when he's asking God to get them, he's asking God to get them. Not to destroy. Yes, destroy their ways. Yes, stand as the adversary against my enemies, God. Cast them down. Break them. Cut them off. All of it for the purpose so that they would be saved so that they would know you and you alone are God and Savior. You are good. In anger, Lord, you have anger against sin. The wrath of the Almighty God was poured out on his Son on the cross. Go read Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus died to remove God's anger from you. God, you number my wanderings, all the circumstances of my life, Lord. You're completely aware. Look at David. Put my tears in your bottle. David poured out emotion. Publicly, I'm sure, multiple times. Privately, probably a lot more often. He had reason to be afraid and to be in emotional pain. But again, just sits in the depth of the emotion. God, I put my tears in your bottle. You store up my emotion and my tears, Lord. Are they not written in your book? God, you have a record of my life. You are attentive to me. You know every aspect to a detail that I can't even imagine. When I cry out to you, then my enemies turn back. Another underline there, when you what? When are your enemies, whatever that opposition is, when is that going to turn away from you? When you have an honest conversation with God. Because in that honest conversation, he's talking back to you. He's giving you his promises. He's giving you his voice. He's telling you to be still. He's telling you to move in action. Lord, when I cry out to you, that's when my enemies are going to turn back. Why? Because, Lord, you're my warrior. You're the one that's doing the battle. This I know. This I know. Because God is for me. No, he's not. Yes, he is. No, he's not. Yes, he is. How do I know? Look at the cross. Before you were created, it was determined by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that the Son was going to come and pay your payment to give you his life, to give you his holiness, to give you his mercy, to give you his grace, to give you, to give you, to give you, to give you The only thing God is seeking to take from us is that which will hurt us. Our sin, our rebellion, our flesh, our will, me. And everything he expresses in him is is for us. Here is my gift, here am I. There's no need for the temple in the eternal heaven Because the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are the temple of it. There's no need for a created Son and something else to emanate light. Why? Because He is light. He has given all of Himself to you so that you can image back and forth to Him for all eternity. This is what the gospel proclaims. This is why He created you. God is for you. In God, I will praise his word. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? This psalm is known as a lament, where David is pouring out his heart. Here's here's the thing that is causing me fear, and agitation, and isolation. And David takes that lament and he pours out his emotion and he pours out his heart. And in this, as he is doing so, the Lord is building in him courage and confidence and reminder about God's nature and character, about who David is in God. So that when David gets up out of the moment, as he is still seized by Achish in Gath, this is his confidence in the moment as a prisoner. Powerful. Powerful what God can do to our perspective when we trust in him. Vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. I will render praises to you. I have promised to praise you. I am bound by that obligation, Lord. I will praise you. You have delivered my soul from death. Have you not kept my feet from falling, from stumbling? that I may walk before God in the light of the living. Jesus is the light of God. Psalm 34. Same circumstance, but here this psalm is now after David has been released from this seizing in Gath, his confidence in God and his scheme of pretending to be insane has been successful and he escapes so it says a psalm of david when he pretended madness and the literal hebrew is when he changed his taste before abimelech who drove him away and departed now this is this is the idea and it's going to uh, come about in our relationship with god you have, you have a taste. You have a flavor. You have an odor. You have a smell. You have people observe your life. You leave a taste, right? You can leave a bitter taste in somebody's mouth. I left a bitter taste in my boss's mouth this week, right? Because I was being a jerk. I can leave a sweet taste in somebody's mouth. In that act of service. In that act of love. In those words of peace and comfort from God. David... Was a specific taste to Abimelech as he is being brought into his presence, representing the one who has slain his ten thousands, the one who has slain Goliath, the one who is defined as the king of the land of Israel. That's a specific taste for Abimelech. David intentionally changed his taste. And pretended to be mad to leave a different flavor in Abimelech's mind and mouth and attitude concerning David. So that David was able to flee. Now this is the song that David takes the time. On the road. In the cave. And this is is the type of time that David took. This is an acrostic. This walks through every single letter of the Hebrew alphabet, verse by verse as a memorization tool. Very specific, very structured, all except the last verse which stands out in isolation to put it to the top. Very intentional words. I will bless the Lord when? When, church? When are you going to bless the Lord? When you feel like it? At all times. In every situation. His praise my gratitude, my exaltation of him, my, my blessing, the, w- the words that are pouring out of my heart, that are pouring out of my mouth, that are rising up to him, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. Not in self, not in circumstances, not in position. My soul is going to make its boast in Jesus and Jesus alone in him and in his deeds. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Hearing these words, hearing these praises of God, those who are abiding in pride, they don't hear these words. They don't, that's not what makes them happy. Those who have humbled themselves before God know who he is, know what it is that he's done, that are trusting in him. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Not just in alone, not just in those moments of isolation, but you, church, as often as we gather together, magnify the Lord, make him great with me. Let us exalt his name together forever. I sought the Lord, and he heard me. He delivered me from all of my fears. Remember, he was just in the position of fear, seized by the enemy, and now he's out of that. The Lord has delivered me out of all of my fears. They looked at him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. Speaking about those who are listening and magnifying with David. The poor, those who are needy. Are you needy? I'm needy. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord, Jesus himself, encamps all around those fear him don't fear man don't fear your circumstances don't fear the enemy have an awe a respect of how awesome he is and remember that jesus encamps around you and delivers you and here's the taste verse 8 oh taste and see these these this is emphatic This is David has come out of a circumstance victoriously in the Lord, only by God, and he is intentionally writing this down as an exhortation to all who will hear him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. What kind of taste does Jesus leave in your mouth? What do you know about his innumerable flavors, all of his different attributes, all the different things that he has done that have been recorded, all the different ways that you have experienced him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Not a question mark, is he good? No, boldly, the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Fear the Lord, he was saints. There is no want to those who fear him. Earlier there in verse 6, the needy, the poor man, this poor man cried out in total need. Those who fear the Lord here in verse 9, there's no want in him. There's no need. Why? Because he satisfied the need, he satiated what you need in the circumstance, in the moment. It may be that command to wait. It may be that the provision is coming in the future. But again, it's this position and knowledge. Your needs, your lack, your poverty, all of your wealth, all the gifts that you need, all of your provisions, there is no need to those who fear him. Young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Do you believe it? always come listen this is just like proverbs come you children listen to me i will teach you the fear of the lord who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good you want to see good in the days in your life do you want to see good in your household your marriage and your children your grandchildren in your culture and your job do you David's saying, come on, come listen to me. I have something to share to you. And what does he say? Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Wait a minute, David. We're just reading about a bunch of your lies. How how can you tell us to keep our lips from deceit when you're just telling a bunch of lies? You think David learned some lessons about lying? Have you learned some lessons about lying? If you want some lessons learned from tasting what this world and what this culture has to offer you and what it tells you will make you happy, come have a conversation with me and I'll tell you how much dung I have chewed on in my life. I have tasted and I have seen that this world is disgusting. I have tasted and I have seen that the Lord is good. And David, again, he's coming out of experience. You want to see good in your life? Watch your mouth. How do you watch your mouth? You got to watch your heart. Because out of your heart is what your mouth speaks. How do you watch your heart? Well, my heart needs to be made new by my creator. So the heart needs to be recreated and watched over by my savior. He needs to make my heart right now, in this moment in this thought, in this idea, so that the mouth has the right words, not deceit, but truth. Depart. Depart from bad. Depart from evil. Choose to do, make good in your life. May that be the produce, the product of what he is bringing about, what he'll always bring about is his goodness. Seek peace. Pursue it. Hunt it is what pursue means. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Oh, worship team, come on up, and we got other songs to sing. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Again, same words in Psalm 51. Brokenness, broken of your will, your wants, your flesh, replaced by his heart, his spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Your life is not going to be trouble-free. You want a life that reflects God. Many will your your afflictions be, but the Lord, look at this promise, he delivers you out of them all. He guards all of your bones, not one of them shall be broken. Specific prophecy in regards to our Savior on the cross, his bones were not broken. Evil shall slay the wicked. Those who hate the righteous shall be condemned jesus did not come in this world to condemn the world we are told in john chapter 3 because the world is already condemned in its sin jesus came to save the lord redeems purchases the soul of his servants with the blood of his son none of those who trust in him Shall be condemned. Father, I love these words. They are so powerful. They are so motivating, so convicting, because they are true. I sit in these words with David, Lord. I'm so glad he took the time to think, to pray, to praise, to write. And to present this to others so that we have it preserved today, Lord. So much confidence in who you are. So much confidence, Lord, in the days of darkness that there you are shining the light. So much confidence in all of the testimony that we have in regards to you, to your Son, and to your Spirit. You and you alone are our God and our Creator. it's as we place our trust in you lord therein is our life and our light and our hope and our confidence and our victory lord there is so much on the outside and even internally that brings about fear. And when I come to you, Lord, you place me, you take me out of the mire and out of the muck and out of the filth and you cleanse me and you wash me and you purge me and you set me on your mountaintop in your presence, in your inheritance and all of your gifts and all of your glory, Lord, and all of your light and your beauty and your mercy and your grace and your peace. There you are, Lord. We worship you and we praise you. Here we are, cleanse us save us, deliver us. We can't wait to see you and taste you fully, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.